Do you wonder where those voices come from that we hear whenever we make a call and an automated recording is played? Or when an announcer on television or the radio tells us about a product, an upcoming program, or even just an update on our weather, news, or traffic. I was amazed to discover that one of those voices, Helen Quigley, was part of the amazing conversation with the unsinkable team, and yet sadly a story that I was not able to bring to the surface during that conversation. However, there is a wonderful thing in the gracious way that Helen agreed to return to storytelling with Seth and share with us not only the wonderful chapters of her journey, but how it was that she almost was late for our conversation because of a rousing game of Pokemon Go. And with that, I am reminded once again, I need to start every recording with the record button playing instead of being so polite as to warn others that I'm recording them. I would have been heartbroken if I had missed the opportunity to share the story that starts off this episode. Join me now for a wonderful conversation with Helen Quigley. Mm-hmm. Even though after our last chat, I swore I would only just record right from the get-go, I'm still unbearably yeah. polite. I, I got to get over it. I was a bit worried I was going to be late because my friend (coughs) invited me to a Pokemon Go raid and I was busy dealing with that before I logged on. So, (laughs) yeah, you know what? Now I'm just always going to record. I don't I don't care anymore. I'm sorry. So you were you were lassoed into a Pokemon Go raid? I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been playing it pretty much since the start. And uh, yeah, I've got a handful of friends that, that I play it with. I'm not one of those people who goes out. I'm a bit of a lone wolf locally. I'll go out and do my own thing. I don't join any of the groups. I'm not on Discord or anything like that. But a couple of remote friends will invite me to raids and things and we do some trading that way. Um, Okay, so at some point we have to consider seeing just how far down the nerd hole goes because like, you know, at some point we are, I mean, we're tapping into a, a, a level that for me is like, no, I don't do that. Nope. Pokemon Go. It looks it looks wonderful. I've heard only great things. I did not grow up on the show, but for those who <laughs> love neither. it, I'm, I'm not going to you know demean it or in any way say no. That's no good. It's just it's not the thing that makes me go. Oh yeah, Meerkat. Um, I don't have that. <laughs> oh, well, I'm I'm it. not a gamer by any stretch. I'm, in fact, if I ever was, I would do nothing else. I'm I'm sure of it because I the the only games I've ever been really sucked into, really entry level stuff. Certainly as I've got older, stuff like. You know, Lego Star Wars, Lego Indiana Jones on the Wii. And I've spent, I've lost hours on those alone. So if you ever got me in, into any of these multi-role player stuff with all of the vast landscapes and stories and threads, uh, you'd never see me, seriously. And I daren't. In fact, I was really tempted today by something I read about this new game called Valheim. And I've come this close <laughs> to, to, to getting it. I've got Steam. I've looked at how much it costs. I've even got YouTube open thinking about oh, watching a, things you need to know before you play Valheim. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, I'm not sure if I want to go there because this could go horribly, horribly wrong. Well, it could be that you'll no longer respond to any communication with me except by your character name because that is all you are now. Like it'll, you oh, know, well, I haven't done it yet. I haven't logged on. 
Give, well, give I've got chance. this window. I know. Hey, hold on. <laughs> just a minute. I'm Finish just the conversation. Yeah. Finish the conversation. <laughs> then we can do all that. I swear. Pokemon Go, I can dip in and out of those kind of things. It's, it's yeah, that's easy stuff. I'm not even that heavily invested in it, she said. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for somebody in another room to be like, yeah, that's what she says. Um. <laughs> you got a shiny Mewtwo. No, I haven't. No. My spouse will <laughs> always, <laughs> my wife will always bust me out. It's no problem for her to be like, oh yeah, go ahead and say that again, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you got a what now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right? <laughs> so, so yeah, I was nearly late because I was playing Pokemon <laughs> Go. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I, I had my own reasons. I barely finished a banana, which was hilarious <laughs> for me because halfway through it, I could only think of your YouTube video and for anybody who's <laughs> listening to us right now, I had to smile and stop and say, you don't even know who I'm talking to unless you saw the two-part interview with uh, the Unsinkable team in which you got to meet Helen Quigley and hear this amazing voice, which did not get nearly enough uh, attention and uh, understanding from that conversation. So Helen, thanks for coming back. Oh, you're welcome. No problem. <laughs> it so I'm not like lot. I'm going anywhere, is it? lockdown no it really but you know you have a choice you could always be like oh someone's calling on that mute no never mind i'm not uh, talking yeah. to that guy I wouldn't yeah do that. i have better things to do pokemon <laughs> go awaits uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it really stuck with me i mean there's there's moments when you you're aware that you're trying to direct a conversation and like herding cats it simply does not occur the direction of the conversation ends up somewhere else. And by the time we got to the part where I was like, so what if, What did I not ask? And you're like, well, I would have liked to talk more about what I do. I was like, yeah, I would like that too. And, and it was great because you provided like what you did offer just in that one little moment was, oh yeah, I felt like I was doing stop motion audio. And I thought to myself, how, how is it we didn't get to follow up on that? Because that's such a great concept for describing what you were doing on Unsinkable. And I, I guess that's a good place to start. We didn't really get into what you were doing on Unsinkable. And I'd love to give you a chance to sort of explain uh, your role after, you know, the guys got all glossy eyed over Brian Cox and, you know, <laughs> John Malkovich. It's like I said, I, I, I got the bits after they finished all of that. So, um, yeah, I wasn't really involved in the early development, the kind of back and forth on the script. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I read the script, um, but that was something that, that Jack and Andrew and Misha and John were all knocking back and forth between them. Mm. Um, I think at the point that working on Unsinkable, like literally getting my hands dirty on the audio came up because I'd just been doing a little bit of mastering on a project Misha had already been batting around himself uh, in the summer. And I'd just mastered a whole series of um, podcasts for another production company called Fresh Air Production um, about um, Russian kleptocracy. It was a big, called The Big Steel. And nice. it was a, a project by Martin Points Roberts and Fresh Air Production. And they spent a year doing interviews and, and um, researching. And uh, Martin had put a lot of work into it, but he quite rightly, he'd spent all his time working on the journalism and throwing the clips onto the timeline and putting the music in that he thought worked and getting the, the voiceover recorded by the presenter, who was a former BBC News journalist. Um, and it just needed someone to come along and tidy it all up and, and make it sound nice, which is what I spent a lot of February and March last year doing. Um, and off the back of that, making it sound nice, 
I did that little bit of uh, work on the on a game for gentlemen, which I can now go back and finish now that I'm done with Unsinkable. Um, and because that sounded good and Game for Gentlemen was sounding good, it just said, does, does Helen want to have a look at, um, at Unsinkable? And Andrew was, was quite keen for me to have a crack at that as well. So I got, um, it was a bit of a slow start because they were recording all of the voices in isolation. They, I think only one session had two of the actors together. And then all the audio went into a, um, a cloud folder uh, and I just pulled it down into audition. And of course, every character had their own track. So uh, I had the log sheets, refer to the log sheet, put it on the timeline. I had sort of three or four different programs open at any one time as it was all loaded <laughs> onto the timeline. Um, some of the files needed a little bit of cleaning up because of where they were recorded and how they were recorded. They didn't quite match. But equally, I didn't want to do too much because I wasn't, my, my job was just to build the skeleton. You know, the, the flesh and the clothing and the, you know, making it look nice <laughs> is, is Ben's job when he gets his hands on it, which presumably he now has. So, but the, 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 the stop motion thing came about. because like, like I said, I could be working on a scene with two actors and that's easy. That's back and forth. You know, this track, that track, this track, that track, tidy it all up, beat in the in and out points, make sure it's smooth, done. And then if you have five or six actors in a scene and you've got them all on different tracks, you're checking each one, you're making sure that there's a, a beat or an overlap where there needs to be a break or where there needs to be an overlap. And it could, I could spend, you know, two or three hours just going, yeah, I'm really making progress with this. I'll play it back and have a listen. Oh, I've done 20 seconds. <laughs> and that, that's what made me think of, of stop motion because <laughs> you move it a bit, you take the picture, you move it a bit, you take the picture. Um, and again, that, that, was, that was really what it boiled down to, but it was, there was a couple of occasions where I think, again, I mentioned that the frustration was, oh, I could just go, on, if I just get a sound effect here and that would sound really good. <laughs> like, no, leave it. That's not your job. Make a note for yourself. Like, wouldn't that be mm. nice? And then walk away or yeah. <laughs> try yeah. and, um, and then, you know, from that, you, you said you were able to uh, now put more of your energy into, uh, I believe it was a game of gentlemen. Game for Gentlemen, yeah, Game which was, um, it was a book that was written by a friend of Bisha's and uh, it, it's, what, it's what I've started to call a performed audio book. I don't know if that's the official designation, but um, in my head, it could I be starting sort of something scale. right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you have an, an audio book, which is one narrator, one with the story. They read the whole thing. They do the characters. That's it. Uh, then what we've been calling as a B7 thing. Uh, an enhanced audiobook, which will be same thing, single narrator with a story, doing all the characters. But we might layer in some music or sound effects underneath just to create some atmosphere. Not too much and not all the time, but just to create a, an, yeah, an ambience, a, a, a sense of the story tied to the narration. And then performed audiobook, as I'm calling it, is... Um, maybe two or three characters within the story. So you'd have a single narrator, which in this case was Kendall Conti, Misha's friend and the, the author. And then Misha performed a couple of roles. Ken performed a couple of roles. And then they had another actor recording some of the female lines as well. And again, had music and sound effects mixed into it. And um, that's, uh, yeah, we've been going back and forth on that, finishing, mastering it, making it sound nice, balancing it, swapping some bits and pieces in and out. Um, and yeah, that, that is, that's one of those jobs that I know is just half a day's work from being finished. If I can just 
slot that time in. Get and, that half a day. And get it done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the, uh, you know, just because it's this is just off the cuff and as you were describing it, I started to wonder, what what in your mind is is the timeline roughly? Uh, well, Greenborn, which is the soap, uh, audio soap drama that I'm working on with Andrew and is our B7 production, came about as it was... Uh, Andrew and Colin, who was the writer of the series and who devised the whole concept, was they, they between the two of them a while ago, they'd always wanted to do a soap. And, you know, Britain's known for its soap operas. I know you guys have seen EastEnders and Coronation Street and for years. Um, but there is only really one radio soap that has run for, I want to say 70 years. I'm not sure that's right. 50 years. Um, <laughs> do my revision. You're on uh, the it's, spot. It's, it's been okay. around a long time. So... <laughs> There have been other soaps that have come and gone, but The Archers is the gold standard. BBC soap has been running for years and there hasn't really been anything to, to you know, compete with that. Although I wouldn't say Greenborn is a competitor. Um, and that was something they'd had in mind for years. But uh, it must have been about a year ago, towards the beginning of, of lockdown, um, the Audio Content Fund, which is a government backed initiative to produce for independent producers to make more audio and more radio um, released a special round of, I think it was four, three or 400,000 pounds. And it was a rolling process. So um, you put your bid in, they'd go, yep, that's relevant to the current situation. It was a special coronavirus round. Uh, makes it sound like a quiz, doesn't it? Tonight you get to win the coronavirus <laughs> round, which is essentially how it worked. It sounds much uh, more fun than what we think of this past year. <laughs> So normally the bids would go in, the doors would close, they'd review the bids and then allocate the money. But this was, yeah, we like the look of that. We like the look of that. Here's some money, here's some money, here's some money. So Andrew and Colin just went, we should do the soap because it's relevant. It's about people getting back to normal. It's slightly set in the future. And uh, we devised it. But at the point that we submitted the bid, it was towards the end, the closing date. So by the time we put the bid in, there was no money left. <laughs> so this was back in May. <laughs> but you know they made they came back and went not much drama gets submitted because of the amount of work that has to go into it and the amount of people involved um if you were to submit it again in the round in the autumn which is a normal round you know we might be uh, in with a chance <laughs> which is what we did and that time we got it so in the meantime Colin had developed his characters and some backstories and things so that yeah, so we're looking at sort of March, April's when this first started. Um, as soon as we got the uh, the money, that was when the script writing began in earnest, the casting began in earnest, and that would have been October, November, just gone. Uh, we started recording in January. We're just about finished the recording. We've got a couple more sessions left to do remotely. We did two days in the studio. The rest has all been done pretty much like this. Uh, and the first episode is going to air on the 21st of March is what we're going for. So it's almost exactly a year from conception to broadcast. Now, would that, have been, mm -hmm. would that have been uh, fairly similar before the lockdown had occurred, before we entered the corona? Was that timeline similar? I mean, because you had a couple of factors come into play that are very different mm -hmm. than I think might normally, yes. you know, submitting for a prize, resubmitting getting and then starting the writing sometime around october november would it generally be a shorter might, process it, in most situations 
Again, what or does is the this client pretty standard? Want? <laughs> <laughs> okay. When, yes. Who who who's asking? Yeah. Right. When do you want it? Yeah. Um, the space race, which we did in again, the space race was kind of talked about for years, but when the green light was actually lit, we did it in six months oh, because wow. it had That's to fast. be done before the anniversary of the moon landing in july you've got history to think about yeah exactly though that was there was a hard deadline this has to be done by the week before i think so we had to deliver it on july the 12th something like that and that, that was a 10 10 part 40 to 50 minute for audible um with kate mulgrew as the narrator and that, that's why was, we were in charleston we had to go to charleston and record her there because she was shooting at the time mm. and we just it was one of those we turned up in Charleston, not actually knowing if what day we were recording on, because it depended on her availability. And we had to get her narration done in order to get this delivered by July the 12th. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds a bit nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a really good experience. It was we had a great time, great week, working holiday effectively. But yeah, mm. it was quite stressful getting it delivered in that time because <laughs> we had drama elements to it as well. Yes, I would imagine that would... so. Let me sort of give people an opportunity to understand how do they even like, how does one even get to the place where you're sitting down with me now having this conversation and looking back over 20 years of experience working in producing sound voice. What was your sort of introduction into uh, sound voice? Did, was it, you know, because for a lot of people here, I think they want it to be like what they imagine uh, happens to a, a Hollywood actor. Oh, yes, this person was just in a drugstore flipping through a book and an agent walks by and says, oh, my goodness, you're the most stunning creature to ever watch, you know, the face of the earth. All men and women will want to see you perform on screen, sign this contract. And like that, you are discovered. Was it something wondrously magical like that? Someone heard you say hello and, and boom. No, because I didn't really. It's the voiceover kept popping up but it wasn't something I actually really embraced until about 12 13 years ago even though I'd been doing audio related stuff um so it it's it, it came I mean I, I want I wanted to work in a creative industry I think initially my my first thought was um I wanted to be a camera woman I wanted to be a tv camera woman or a a set designer uh that was one of the the, the areas I first looked at but where where I'm from I'm from the northeast of England doesn't have a huge, uh, huge amount of, of, of opportunity to, to get into those things. You've got to get work experience at the local paper or find your way, way in via a radio station. And I, I started volunteering at the local hospital radio station. I don't know if that's a thing in the States. Do you have hospital radio stations? We do not. And if we do, it's the biggest kept secret. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, they, they kind of serve the patients. So. In hospital, you know, someone will go around and, and say, what music would you want to play? Or, you know, it, it's engaging the patients of, if someone's in hospital and needs someone to talk to or is lonely or just wants to request a track on the hospital radio station. That There's quite a big community of these things. So I, I started volunteering there. So I got to know other radio people there. And at the time, I was very much geared towards I want to work in television. Um, and. It's, you, I was always told you've got to get experience you've got to get in there you've got to get some kind of foot in the door and get experience so I, I started doing the hospital radio stuff and I enjoyed it but it wasn't where I was in, intending to go as a live broadcaster or presenter and 
I'd been doing that for a little while and then some of the people I knew there were involved with something called a restricted service license, which is a 28 day license for a so often RSLs will turn into community radio stations, which is what Greenbourne is going to be broadcast on. And it basically get, gives you a chance to play with a real radio frequency for a month and wow. do shows and, you know, you can get experience that way. And they're, they're run as real radio stations because they are for 28 days, a real radio station. And you'll often have people from the professionals in the local community working on the commercial stations or the BBC stations will get involved to some degree, either helping or training and you get to know people that way. So I, I made a few friends through doing a couple of those. And uh, I went off to university and one of the my colleagues from that time was really into setting up a travel news service. So he set up local traffic and travel news. And there was already, uh, I think there was already a couple of um, big companies doing that. There used to be one called um, GTN in the States, which may even still exist, which bought out one of the British companies later on but I, I was doing the, um, I was at university at the time and I came home in the summer holidays ran into one of my friends in the pub who said oh yeah we're still looking for broadcasters and it's like uh, do you want to go up in the plane do you want to do the traffic plane I was like I can't because I've got to go back to university in September so I can't do the plane although that would be awesome um, but what ended up yeah. happening is they hired me, I think it was in my last year at university, they hired me as a, as a broadcaster to do travel news at weekends. So I would do, I'd do university Friday morning, get the train home on Friday lunchtime, Saturday morning in the office at seven o'clock, do a 12 hour shift, acting as an editor broadcaster for the stations across the Northeast and Northwest. And then short shift Sunday morning back to university. And, and doing doing traffic and travel news basically and as a sort of shadow operative so you would sit at your desk with your isdn line on your microphone and you would dial the isdn of the station you were doing the report for having learned all of the roads for that area and tell them where the blockages <laughs> were where the accidents were where the cows on the road were all of that and then you'd go great thanks guys bye and then you'd log out dial into your next station which would be in a different region do their report as if you were coming from their station and then um, do it all over again. <laughs> so you would maybe deal with four or five stations per shift at weekends. Uh, and after that, uh, yeah, I, that was kind of when I started dabbling in audio a little bit more. But it was, was interesting. It, at un oh, I was just curious. Was it, you know, a byproduct of the fact that it doesn't sound like you slept at all during that time? So with your <laughs> mind constantly going, you were like, well, what else can I do? Uh, sorry to interrupt you there, but it just it was like, you should mention how much sleep you got. Because maybe someone's thinking, how do you do that? How, well, I how, didn't at weekends. Weekends were, <laughs> were no sleep at weekends. But the, you know, the, the benefit was, is, you know, a lot of students at university will take on part-time jobs to help pay their way, their way through. I just condensed all my part-time hours into one weekend. And <laughs> in my final year, a lot of it was, you didn't need to be at on campus as much so I had two or three um lectures a week and so on or you'd be working uh on projects and things separately because I was doing of course I went and did a media degree didn't I so we were going into <laughs> going into lectures with with the lecturers just going it's very very difficult getting into the into the, the broadcasting industry you know you, there's hundreds of people going after these jobs and you know you will really struggle after university I'm like 
I need to go in a minute. I've got my radio job to go and do. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle was real. Sorry. Yeah, the struggle was real. I, I kind of was like feeling slightly guilty, just going, guys, I'm already kind of doing it. And yeah. Did you was, potentially uh, find in that classroom a, a picture of you with darts thrown at it? Because they were all jealous <laughs> that like you had the gig and they, if they, they did. I never even... knew about it. Okay. Okay. No, it was, uh... <laughs> no, it, was it was good. I, I had a lot of fun doing travel news, and I, actually, I, ca I came back to it briefly because um, uh, after I graduated, because I had that job, and they kind of said, "We're happy to keep you for as long as you want to stay." And at that point, I was, I want to go to London Town. You know, I want to streets paved with gold. I'm getting out of the northeast. I'm going to go to London where films and TV are made. So uh, I knew I was kind of in a safe position work-wise if I wanted to do that. And my fr a friend in the in the uh, uh, on the course under the course who graduated ahead of me a year ahead of me uh, went to Michigan for three months and came back and just went. If you do nothing else after you graduate, go abroad for a bit. Go to the states. Go somewhere. Do something. Uh, and he really recommended this particular postgraduate scheme that lets you go and work in the States. And I, I remember talking to a friend about this and, and she, she was desperate to get out as well. And she went, <laughs> OK, if you do it, I'm coming too. So um, we looked at the States and the uh, the visa was for three months. And we just went, that's a holiday. That's not you've got no time to <laughs> bed in and do anything useful in three months. What, what, what else should we do? Um so she she went away and came back and went, let's go to Vancouver. <laughs> so this, this is where Vancouver came in. And I said, oh, OK, because it was a year. The, the Canada visa let you stay for a year. Uh, so we graduated in the July and we packed up and, and flew out to Vancouver in the August. And that was 1997. And did a year in Vancouver. Now, Vancouver is not something we had an opportunity to discuss when we were on with the Unsinkable team. And no. you you did suggest when we were setting up this conversation that we might get to learn a little bit more about uh, your adventures in Vancouver, which to me is yeah. the North. but uh... <laughs> Hollywood North. Yeah, that was the appeal. That, that was one of the things that appealed to me. So I thought, well, um, OK, let, let's go and see what's going on in in. Vancouver and Hollywood North and uh I, I think I started I worked in a coffee shop initially because everyone works in a coffee shop uh first three months were spent working in a coffee shop yeah. too many times Barista. yeah it's, yeah I, I, yeah if you're a creative type and you go anywhere <laughs> or if you just fall between gigs guess what you're going to be doing waiting tables yeah. coffee gigs whatever yeah I can froth a latte I really can yeah get the temperature right I remember that was being you know if the if the um the little your metal canister uh, is a third of the way full with milk. You should be able to fill it with foam, is what I was told. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can still do that. Maybe I can. Uh, the things we still remember that are so necessary for what we're doing right now. <laughs> it's very important. You've got to be able to froth a latte. Um, oh, and I'll do it right. Just, you know, get me back behind that thing again. Yeah. No, don't get me back there. <laughs> So the, the so you're in the coffee shop. I was in the coffee shop. Um, the the other thing that came up in Vancouver more than I expected, although I was already aware of this before I went, was um, uh, the X Files was filming there at the time, and I think it was the last year they filmed. I think it was the fifth season they were filming in ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, right. But bef before I went, and this this is not quite as obvious now, but I bore more than a passing resemblance to. Gillian Anderson at the time. No, so in, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> so in 
So that 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 came up quite early on and became a bit of a running joke and a bit of a thing. And I even ended up being on uh, in newspaper articles. I was in a the post the British Post Office hired me for a photo campaign that I did with some other people awesome. and got got <laughs> caught up in that. So as much as I wanted to go to Vancouver because of the whole film industry thing, I was sort of conscious of of this. So, and at the time I was, my my I had my hair was shorter than this and it was blonder. It looks a bit more red on camera than it actually is. And uh, the number of times, even the first few weeks of being in Vancouver, I'd get this kind of thing where someone would just sort of go at me. Oh, Ah, uh, you know, I didn't think too much of it. it. Again, it was a bit of a running joke. My friends would call me Scully. It was just one of those things. You um, never tried to get seats in a really great restaurant or a table or or use it to your own advantage, did you? No, no, I didn't. Although it did work in my favor. Well, it has worked in my favor on a, a number of occasions. But uh, I'd imagine this, there's got to be at least one or two bars that would shoot you a drink and be like, hey, I'm not going to say who you are, but here's a free one on <laughs> Just give us a good write up when somebody asks where you partied or. Well, apparently one there was um I I joined a um a networking group for for filmmakers in while I was in Vancouver at the time, and there was one night they had a party and um it was a party on a boat you know I felt like I'd arrived on a yacht in English <laughs> Bay in Vancouver, and the party carried on after we got off the boat, and um there was this flurry of activity where where people sort of went the bar we're going to had heard that there was Gillian Anderson was on the boat and had prepared a VIP area and everything. And I'm just like, don't tell them just, just, just let me in there. <laughs> so, yeah. But the, 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 the bit that was really strange was um, as through that networking group, which I started doing. Yeah. It must've been late in the year. Cause I got there in August. So it must've been the winter time. Um, I managed to finagle my way onto a, a short film shoot which was sort of half union half half non-union which is and I was just helping I got allocated to the grips who I think don't know what hit them when they just sort of went what is this you've given us this little English girl <laughs> it's like what are we going to do with her um I mean I was sort of conscious of of um you know there's always that she's a girl what's she doing on the grip truck and I knew there wasn't any of that because the guy's partner was a was a woman called Cindy so he clearly didn't have any issues with women. He just wanted me to prove myself, um, which I, I think I did because we became quite good mates after I bit him. So how do you prove you? Okay, so the fighting <laughs> is how you prove yourself, or did you have to do work well, after no, he you was, bit him? Like no, no, no all right, was, now it was, it was fine. It was a, it was a three day <laughs> shoot with with the uh, with some with a night shoot in the middle of it as well, and uh, they left me they left me out on the truck looking after the truck in the rain with the radio. Uh, and I, and, it out. <laughs> well, the, he he called me and sort of said, "Helen, can you bring me the bag of? Can you bring me the box of AKS?" And I was like, oh, "Okay, this is grip terminology. I've read up on this." Uh, so I was just like, okay, I don't know I'll what bring AKS that. Is. <laughs> All kinds of shit. Yeah, there's there's always a there's a box in the back of the truck that's the box of AKS, and oh, yeah. it'll be clamps, bits of string, a paintbrush, you know, all kinds of shit. And it'll have fasteners and, and adapters and, and, you know, things to make things work. And they just said, could you bring me the box of AKS? I went, okay. And I was like, <laughs> he's testing me. So I found the box of AKS and I took it to the set. And I could tell he was like, oh, okay. Metal. Proven metal yeah. right and there. And then the, my, my friend who'd got me um, 
got me the, the gig on it and kind of went, yeah, yeah, I'll sort this out because he was one of the exec producers. Um, so I said, said to um, the, the lead grip, uh, his name was Scott, and sort of said, oh, how's, how's Helen doing? And he went, yeah, she's doing great, and patted my head. <laughs> I was like, so I grabbed his hand and bit it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that, folks. Don't bite your boss. But, Noted. You know. Then again, bosses don't pat your employees. No, no. pat your employee on the it, head. It could... They bite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I felt that, I'd probably think I'm a dog now. Well, if I don't get a treat, I'm biting. So, I, I think yeah. that was what was going through my mind. But anyway, so he kind of went, he laughed, I laughed. And yeah, we were good mates after that. So it's <laughs> a fun time. Um, but this Sounds the, awesome. Yeah. But, oh, God. With a... More misadventures in Vancouver? Oh, well, I have, I have back, back to the X-Files again. So I was <laughs> working in the coffee shop on, in Gastown in, in Vancouver um, called La Luna Cafe, which I think is still there, but it's not run by the same people. And uh, my friend who I traveled there with was working up the road in one of the currency exchanges. And she said, oh, have you seen the thing that came through the door? Like, yeah, what, what, what's this? And of course when units are shooting in the area, they stick a note through businesses' doors saying, we're doing this, we're going to explode this, we're going to crash this car, stuff is going mm. to happen, just to let you know. It's like, oh, the X-Files are going to be filming at the end of the road. I'm like, cool, right, let's watch. So I'd finished my shift at the coffee shop, went home, which was only about a 15-minute walk away, picked up my, my camera and went back and sort of just thought, I'm going to just watch on the sidelines. And that, that's all I did. Loads of people were watching. It, you know, it was a big show. Crowds were around. And I, I was standing on a corner at the top of Water Street uh, in Gastown, and they were shooting a scene with David Duchovny and William, uh, he was the cigarette smoking man. I can't remember his, his name. Uh, it's just going to, like, yeah. as soon as you said cigarette smoking man, everything else it just went through, gone. So I was just <laughs> watching it, and they had the, and the, I was standing fairly near a production assistant with who was coordinating the extras in the background. Uh, I wasn't in the way, but I had a, quite a big SLR camera with me. <laughs> and I was at the time, which was not digital. Uh, and I was taking a few pictures sort of a bit surreptitiously. And then one of the extras nudged me and just went, they're looking at you. I was like, oh, shoot, better put my camera away because you shouldn't really be taking pictures of, of these things. Uh, even though I'm not a photographer, it wouldn't have been that great a picture. So I'm like, OK, fine, I'll put that away. And the next thing I know, I'm looking over and I can see these two guys pointing at me and they come over and just went, you look so like Gillian from where, where we're standing. Come over here. We want your details. So I was kind of taken onto the set <laughs> and made a note of my, my, my phone number. And, and I was like, do you live locally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm living in Vancouver at the moment. I'm on a year's working holiday. Like, OK, great. Go, go sit over there. So they moved me over to sit on this um, just. I don't know what it was, a rockery, flower arrangement. <laughs> and I could see this guy, he walks up to David Duchovny, and I could just see him doing that thing going, her over there. <laughs> <laughs> ah! But um, yeah, they, they sent me up to the studios to have a chat with the uh, casting director and presumably for sort of photo double purposes. But um, uh, and they, yeah, they put me on their books for that reason. But you know, I was non-union. You know, I'm not an actor. I've never really been an actor. I don't have any acting credits. And the, the BC Union Performers Union required you to have six acting credits before you could work on union productions. So it was yeah. All my friends were just like, "Who's the current one? Can we break her legs?" Right. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> 
I want to get the job the right way. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so many people worked on the X-Files that I got to know partly through that and partly through this networking group um, and the short film I was on. The, the, the guy who I was working with was the photo double for Mitch Pileggi, who was Agent Skinner in the X-Files. And uh, he was like, oh, you should come to the set. Come and visit the set. It's like, okay, this is what am I going to do? This is just weird. And so it was fun as it was because it sort of I ended up at the location they were shooting that day. Um, and it was an episode where um, Mulder and Scully go to investigate these desiccated corpses in a cinema. Don't know if that rings any bells. It does. Um, yeah, it yeah. does. <laughs> and they're, they're walking through the cinema and there's these bodies in the seats and they all look horrendous and dried and horrible. Um, and they were shooting that inside. And I was just kind of left outside on the pavement. And I'm just going... <laughs> and like, I'm so and my, glad my I friend, came. Yeah, yeah. And my friend Terry, Terry, who's like standing around with me, just like, do you want a coffee? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll get a coffee. So I go to craft services and there's these desiccated corpses laid out next to <laughs> coffee and snacks. <laughs> just to stimulate the appetite. Yeah, but again, I'm standing there with my coffee outside and, and the crew are walking past kind of going... Da, 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 da. And then just carrying on. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to? But didn't she? It was a wait, strange time. Who's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I've you know I've never I've never laid eyes on her. Apparently, she saw Gillian saw me through the doors of the of the cinema while they were shooting, and it's like I don't know. Maybe I, I don't think I'll ever meet her. We might explode or something. But and of course, I moved I... back to the UK, and I went back to being blonde, and I my British accent. <laughs> and the next thing I know, she rocks up in London with. My hair and a British accent. I can't win. <laughs> Maybe after that, she started following you. Maybe you've become some sort yeah. of muse or. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, I know, because of the nature of what I do and and what she does, there are, there's, you know, there's overlaps in in professional circles. But you know, I've ne we've never had any reason to work together or anything like that. But be interesting if we ever did because my entire life has been dominated by this woman since I was 21. So. All because you went to Vancouver. You, you well, no, even before that and even when oh. I came back. Yeah, I got... I was, I ended up, I was not aware. <laughs> yeah. I say, it's not an obvious, as obvious a resemblance as it used to be, but for a long time it was... Well, then I, I can... Disturbing. <laughs> well, I can see the red hair. They, so I'm trying to picture if, what it would look like if it was lighter, um, you know, and, and what the difference is between the video and what everyone's seeing, what you're describing as far as that. But I think the other thing that, that sticks with me is like, okay, how I have to date back in my head, like, that's right, X-Files had already been on for a few mm -hmm. years. So yeah, at some point, it, it must have been, I mean, we look for famous people almost everywhere. You know, they sort of populate the the media that we enjoy them in, and then suddenly it's like you see someone who's close to resembling that. It, it must have been, um, and yeah, I didn't I, even I used put to that get, together. I used to get asked for her autograph. People <laughs> would go, um, "Oh my god, you really look like can I have your autograph." I'm like, "You do know I'm not her, don't you?" Just, just yeah, yeah, yeah. But come have your autograph. I'm like, okay, uh, so I would, I would sign it, Scully. So it was like, clearly you're not interested in having Helen Quigley's autograph and I'm not Gillian Anderson so nor will I you know be that person who's decided at this moment I'm going to sign her signature because you have to make a choice yeah, when you want to you know, know if, impersonate if it's weird for me it's if you know if this is weird for me it's gonna be weird for her knowing there's this total stranger being asked <laughs> for her autograph it's just bizarre
you know, just for this, I am going to fire off a message, which will be like a note in a bottle and probably never get there. But just for fun, <laughs> I'm just going to shoot it out there and be like, pardon me. Uh, you don't know much about this story, but for the last 20 odd years, you have actually been a fixture in someone's life that I got a chance to talk to. And I think if we get you both on a conversation, <laughs> we could discover a lot. I'd, l- I'd love to know where the overlaps oh, are. The, you know, if if the I get creeped doors. out, she's going to be even more creeped out. Because I've had 20 years to get used to it. She's never met me. You know, leave yeah, a poor woman alone. <laughs> oh, but it sounds so much fun to have that chat. Or if she even responded and said, you know, she's been on my mind for the last 25 years and it's time we finally <laughs> talked. That would be the kicker for me where I'd be like, I'm, I'm happy to be a conduit. Like, let me, let me be a part of all of this because I've heard one mm-hmm. side. I want to hear the other. <laughs> I yeah, promise. It, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't help that, uh, although lockdown, lockdown has not been that kind, but uh, we're, we're roughly the same height, roughly the same build. You know, there, there are other, you know, this, this is why when, when I was up at the studio, it was just like, yeah, you know, we can't hire you as the double because you're not an actor and you're not credited and this is a unionized production and everything and it's like no no that's fine this is weirding me out enough thanks <laughs> you know that reminds me i had a a roommate when i lived in san francisco going to school and she was a body double for um, a very popular actor at the time i i, I can't think of the name um, and there'll be some closing doors. I live with a couple of people. So if you hear them closing in the background, uh, please be aware. Unfortunately, one of the, the trade-offs of being part of lockdown is everybody's home <laughs> and everybody's got a life to live. <laughs> you know, they're like, Hey, I'd love to just stop my life for whatever hour and a half you need, but I can't. Um, but I, I do remember that she had the chance to be the stand-in. It was, it was, I, I can't think of the actor's name, but the other uh, co-actor was uh, Brendan Fraser. And it was like one of those, uh, he made a deal with the devil movies. So she was doing the stand-in work. And then later she would have these weird interactions where someone would sort of like, cause she would get dolled up to look very close to this actor's appearance and then go off to get a coffee or something. And suddenly people would be like, you look a lot like she goes, yeah, no, but thanks. And grab the coffee and, and head on out. <laughs> But I, I'm curious now. So Vancouver has has pretty much been dominated by Gillian Anderson, a bit of the X Files. It was to uh, some degree. I mean, the, the the creepiest part while I was there were people who actually knew her and worked with her would accidentally call me Gillian when I saw them. You know, it, this was that that at the time the resemblance was that strong. They were actually genuinely having a oh my god, this is terrifying. But well, that was that was twenty odd years ago. <laughs> It's also got to make going out to like, you know, bar pub a bit weird because someone buys you a beer. You're like, okay, are you buying me a beer or are you buying Jillian slash (laughs) Scully slash? Yeah. Right. Because I don't even want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Dating would probably be even crazier. I don't even want to imagine that that scenario. Um, So you've adventured in Vancouver. Was there any other uh, fun thing we should make sure to include before you came back to England you oh in Vancouver um no I mean I I I spent the year having I don't want to miss it (laughs) (laughs) well that's you know the advantages were at the time the the exchange rate was great so you know cost of living was crazy cheap (laughs) Uh, I was living in the west end of, of Vancouver so I was close to the beach I was could walk to work view of the mountains the ocean great coffee 
that was a bit of a novelty, you know, discovering Starbucks because we didn't have one of those in the UK at the time and uh, other exciting novelties that, that Canada provided. Uh, I was working, I, I spent three months at the coffee shop, which uh, was was minimum wage. It was great, you know, talk to people every day. I was a dreadful barista. There was this, it, was, it was a bit like one of these running gags in a sitcom where this guy would come in every day and just go usual and I'd go, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, how fat latte, cinnamon on the top. We're like, oh yeah. <laughs> It was so rubbish. Oh, so because it, but after that, it became a bit of a thing of just like usual. Like, um, and then I went on. I ended up working for a um, disability insurance company, and that was that was more of a that was an eight till four job. You know, sending out mail outs and photocopying and pay the um, bills. But yeah, I mean, but it was. I mean, they understood why I was there. You know, it's like you're you're an intelligent graduate. We know this is an entry level job that isn't you know you're not going to be one of the um the key staff at this firm you're not one of the lawyers or anything we get that you know in return in return for your your time and your effort and you turn up and you're punctual and you do the job we know you are paying you money for you to have a good time this year so we're not gonna you know it was this kind of mutual understanding that this was not my career and I was not going to be here very long but I'll do a good job while I am here and we'll all get along famously so I I stayed there for the rest (laughs) of the year so then you you come back to to England and mm. you've had these adventures. Did it did it give you this sort of like I've got a network that I'm building and this is my next step? You know, now that I'm back home and well, I, I was I was lucky in that I think two days before my visa out and my flight home was booked, my former boss at the traffic and travel company called me up and just went. When are you coming back? <laughs> I've got a job for you here. <laughs> That's fortuitous, to say the least. Yeah. Well, I went, well, I'll come back. But my, again, the long-term goal was to get to London. Right. So, And I knew there was a London office because by this point, the local company had been bought out by a bigger company, which was now national. Okay. So I said, can I, I'll come if I can transfer to the London office. I'll do a few months work while I'm back and then ideally move on. And they said, yep, that's great, because I, I came back in the August of 98, and that particular company had just won the contract to provide the BBC with its traffic and travel services. So I was one of the five people transferred slash hired by the London office to look after the BBC travel news at the time. We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with the following ads and then bring you right back to our conversation. So, yeah, pack, pack my bags and move to London. <laughs> um, don't mind the noise. I suddenly saw a notification pop up on my phone and sort of smiled and went, I don't need that right now. So I just slapped it off the computer oh, desk. I didn't notice. Uh, okay, <laughs> wonderful. It was, it was, as I heard it clacking the ground, I was like, that was a bit louder than I wanted it to be. Stay there. So, uh, <laughs> um, so from that, um, okay. So here's the fun part. There's a YouTube video that we're going to talk about. But I want to uh, bridge Fast the gap. Forward. Fast forward. Well, ahead. no, no, I, I, I wouldn't mind bridging the gap because things happen after you've returned home. You, you have the chance to live in London. You're, you're now set up with the station, but that's not your long-term goal to do traffic news. You've got no. further aspirations. So what was the process like of branching out of, you know, um, uh, exploration well, I spent, and discovery? 
spent two two years doing the traffic stuff. Um, mainly, it was the hours that that I wanted to get out of that because I was doing split shifts, so six till ten, three till seven, covering Oof. the peak travel hours, doing these travel reports. Uh, and I moved around a bit sort of within the office doing different shifts. And then I was on the editor's desk where you would be coordinating the aircraft spotter planes and uh, the police cameras across London. You were looking at, you know, and anything around the M- M25 inside and just outside. It was quite a big job. And uh, a job came up with, uh, as an, an assistant producer job came up with Comedy Central, which at the time was called Paramount Comedy. It was owned by Viacom, and so it was one of the sister channels of Nickelodeon and MTV. But it was in the UK; it was known as Paramount Comedy, with the Paramount Comedy Paramount Pictures logo on it, so oh. the mountain and the stars. Um, and uh, it showed sitcoms, comedy, homegrown stuff, American imports, uh, and they needed a continuity producer. Now, I don't know if you have continuity per se in the US. I'm not enough in the industry to know whether or not that's something we have. <laughs> Well, a continuity announcer here is like the bridge between programs when you're not running promos or commercials. So there'll be like a sort of 10, 15 minute window before a program that sort of says, you know, in half an hour's time, this program is coming up where X person does this and -and so-and-so does that. But first on this channel, here's another episode of... Okay. And there might we be have had those on there. occasion. Um, is it usually because I do note that with some channels, it'll be one voice for the entire channel providing all of those communications. Yes. Was that yes. that was your role then? Yeah, uh, I was producing some of that. So there's two of us in the team and we had. Um, yeah, we would coordinate the announcer, look at the scripts, do the interstitials, go into the edit suite, make the graphics, put it all together and basically create the branding for the channel, which would include continuity voiceover um and then eventually we launched the second channel because everything was going digital they wanted a digital second channel which was um they would strip the schedules differently so you Mm -hmm. might have everybody loves raymond every day at 10 o'clock on paramount comedy one but he would be on every day at four o'clock on paramount comedy two so it was yeah it was a way of repeating content and and putting on at different times uh, before you had pvrs (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they needed a, a voice for that. So I just went, I'd like to do it, please. So uh, I had to record some samples and there was me and a few other voiceover actor announcers. And um, I think they probably went in the end with me because I'm already on the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, got a, I think I got an extra hundred quid per session or something <laughs> for, for, for doing Paramount Comedy 2. And that kind they of got me started you. on it. Yeah. <laughs> But it was interesting because going way, way back, um, I remember when I first started doing the hospital radio stuff, my mum opened up one of the morning papers one day and there was a feature in there about a voiceover artist. It was like, this is one of the most famous people in the UK, but you would never recognise them walking down the street. But the minute they speak, you'd recognise them. And I remember her going, you could do that. And I was like, nah. But it was interesting that we were already, she that was when I was like 15 or something. She sort of clocked that there was this road opening up. But I had never really done a great deal of in the way of voiceovers. While I was doing the traffic and travel news, I was doing travel for one of the national stations. And one of my old university colleagues, who was now a producer with a little video company, was doing a, I think it was a charity video and he needed a voice. So he went, oh, I heard you on this radio station. Will you record the voiceover for this? So there were little, that kind of was 
planting the seed. Mm-hmm. And then I went into doing this continuity production and the continuity announcing. And, and then from there, I started doing more. I got asked if I would look after um, the channel's first podcasts. So they had um, a comedian, Robin Ince, who's very well known now for doing lots and lots and lots and lots of podcasts. <laughs> uh, he was the very first outing for Paramount Comedy doing podcasts. And I produced his first series, Show and Tell, and the second series, Utter Shambles which um, he's, he's now taken that name and run with it. So he does book shambles, <laughs> he does cosmic shambles. He, you know, the, there's this whole um, empire of the shambles network of, of programming that he does almost entirely online. Uh, and so I, I produced that. So I'd started to learn to use, I think I was using Audition. I'd managed to persuade my boss to get Audition for me and my assistant producer by this point. And I was there nearly eight years. But I was starting to drift into doing more audio production generally. I was learning from the engineers that I would go into sessions with when we were working with the voiceovers. Because we then, after having voiceovers, we then thought we'd have comedians doing continuity announcing. And that was a whole world of pain because comedians don't censor themselves. (laughs) So when they send their scripts in, we had to go, you can't say that. You can't say that. Take that out. Get rid of that. Um, But it made for quite entertaining listening. Um, but because it, it meant I was I was editing this and I was editing the podcast and, and I was getting a real handle on audio production. I was t- I was doing audio for television, essentially, <laughs> rather than television itself. And I'm still doing that now. <laughs> so that's how that happened. And then after, yeah, after seven and a half years, I kind of felt like there wasn't much more I could do there. Um, and they were on, on the brink of, of changing to, to Comedy Central. So that's why it's quite. I have to kind of say, everyone knows Comedy Central. Paramount Comedy dates it very specifically to a time up until 2008, basically. Um, So I left and went freelance, probably at the wrong time, because uh, companies were making a lot of cutbacks. They weren't taking on a lot of freelance staff in terms of continuity production. So I just thought I really should, you know, dip back into this voiceover lark a bit more. So I set up a website and... I already had, it was kind of ticking along in, as a sort of side hustle a little bit, which I know a lot of people do alongside their main jobs when they're getting started. But I, I probably made the leap and went, OK, I'm going to give this a go. And, you know, talk to people I already knew and I'd already pulled together that production experience and microphone technique. And it was all elements of things I already knew I could bring in, bring to bear and use as my experience for it. Um, and within a couple of weeks of kind of getting started, little bits and pieces started to come in on the, on the voiceover front. So by about 2010, 2011, it was starting to become a part-time job. And then by the time I got to sort of 2012, 2013, it was a full-time job. So it gradually built up. And then that takes us to this video. <laughs> Which I'm going to allow you to introduce because mm. I feel that I, I, unintentionally or simply because of the way I am created and the way my brain works, I will muck it up in all of the best ways. So (laughs) fully aware of my own limitations and my own ability to ruin what I think is a a wonderful (laughs) thing. I allow a better voice and mind to take charge. Mm. I think nobody's ever really publicly asked me about this video. This is the joy of being a faceless voice a lot of the time. 
it's setting us up for something else as well afterwards. So oh, I'm, is it? I'm oh, curious. God, right. okay. Yes. <laughs> so let's have some, yeah, don't worry. It, it, it doesn't get too dangerous, but it should be fun. <laughs> Uh, so what is the so, video that yeah. we're alluding to, but not well, actually? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about how it, how I got to do this video. So Please do. what what tends to happen is is you can, if you're doing voiceovers, you can submit auditions, or a client will come to you and go, oh, we think you'd be good for this. Could you send us a read of this bit of text, and you send it off and everything. And then one day this this email popped up in my inbox, and, and um, I was like, oh, we've got this project. It's an in-house project. We're a company in New York. Um, and we're doing this just for sort of a bit of a fun for like our sort of sizzle reel thing. Um, and we think you'd be great for it. Please, could you read, read this? So I, oh, that's nice. So I opened it up and went, OK, um, what is this? Close it. Think about it. Oh, you think my voice would be good for this? But uh, <laughs> mo- moment Why? of feeling, yeah, moment of feeling slightly offended and concerned because it's not the first time that voices get approached with slightly dubious content to voice for certain individuals who want it for their own pleasure. So, like, okay, I'll open this back up again and I'll read it again. I went, <laughs> oh, okay. And so I kind of, at that point, I went, yeah. I can see where you're going with this. All right, then. So um, I recorded it. I think I recorded two takes. There was a lot of giggling and I was on my own. So I recorded it and sent it off. And um, the, the, the script was for a video called Porn Sex Versus Real Sex. The difference is explained with food. And so when I read which is it, lovely. which is, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful, but then so is a lot of the content of the video. Yes. And I looked at, yeah, on reading the script, I just went, oh, yeah, I can see, I can see you want a nice British voice saying rude things. That's <laughs> basically what it boiled down to. You want Mary Poppins reads Fifty Shades of Grey, don't you? This is, you want some, someone, someone who sounds lovely saying rude words about yes. squirters and bananas. That's what you, you make naughty sound cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, so I recorded you know. <laughs> it and I sent it off and I had, there was no response. I'd sent the audio file. And there was nothing. And this was beginning of July, mid July, something like that, 2013. So I was, yeah. I was like, oh God, they hate it. You know, it was the <laughs> wrong choice. So, uh, and I just sort of emailed and just went, was, was, was that okay? You know, do you need any retakes? Is, is everything all right? And they came up, God, no, it's amazing. We're putting it out. In the ne- you know in the next few days I'm like okay so I waited a couple of days and I looked on YouTube and and there it was you know a few thousand views and I thought this is great this is really fun it's come out really well it's saucy it's funny it's not suitable for work but it's yeah it's it's very <laughs> tongue in cheek and and yeah I, I I get why they picked my voice on on, on that occasion and I just thought oh yeah this is good this is fun oh yeah it's had a few thousand hits that's really nice. And I looked at it the next day and it was up to a million. Uh, <laughs> uh, hi, mom. I'm just letting you know in case you see it online. <laughs> I've done this video. It's a little bit rude, but it's fun. But, you know, it seems to be doing quite well. And she comes back and I think I retweeted it on my Twitter. And she came back and went, oh, yes, I've seen it. And I've shown it to all my friends in the Tai Chi class. I was like, oh, Jesus, mother. So, yeah, and then after that, over the course of a week, it was getting about a million hits a day. And I was just like, oh. So, yeah, it was, it, it did okay. <laughs> yeah, 
It really yeah. did. And then off- <laughs> I thought it was adorable. Oh yeah, it's, it's great. It's such a good I thought video. it was so hilarious. <laughs> and off the back of that, I did a bit more as well. I think I think it actually served the agency very well too. So I did some two or three more videos in a similar style, uh, and then some actual proper clients wanted a series of videos again in a similar vein, sort of sex facts, sex education, told in the same style. That um, I think there was some I did for um, for Playboy actually, Playboy Channel, which I've never really? seen. Because, yeah, because because it's a paid for channel, they couldn't right. share the finished product with me, and only subscribers would see it. And I'm not a subscriber, so I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've seen, yeah, there's other ones around. I think there was History's Worst Contraceptives was one. Um, Ashley Madison explained with bad stock footage was another. But the um, but the big the big hit was the was the food, the banana in the Nutella, <laughs> <laughs> which is now a gif. I've noticed you can if you search banana on on you know on Gifly or something i was not aware <laughs> yeah not with my voice on it i don't think <laughs> no well i i so one this was one of those videos that i couldn't have someone discover on my history later i needed Why like not? it's educational it is it is but you try and explain that to your wife or husband <laughs> and and you know well so i immediately i was like hun it was like three seconds in and I stopped and I was like, babe, you got to come watch this with me. Just, I need you to come watch this with me. It's already hilarious. And I'm only like a half a second into it. And we sat down and watched it. And it was an Nutella one that made her like, just sort of like cringe and giggle a lit. <laughs> and the thing is every now and then, not less so, because obviously it's a good few years old now, but every now and then it pops up on Facebook or something. And one of my friends will tag me and go, it's you again. Like, oh, yeah. So it, yes, it, come, it comes around welcome. occasionally. I'm saying the things you want to hear <laughs> yep, in the voice me. you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about so, bondage? Yes. Now, now I have to wonder, did, did Fifty Shades of Grey, did others, you know, besides Playboy, uh, who potentially even saying their names out loud, but it might be inappropriate, but did other groups say, so are you thinking of expanding your range as far as content you're doing beyond this softer, you know, did... Did the did things change after that? No, not really. I think this is this is kind of the beauty of being a, a voice. You know, you're you're faceless, and unless unless people put two and two together by maybe listening to a reel or, or just by chance, you know, if someone if someone had listened or watched that that video, and they happened to be looking to a voice for a voiceover, stumbled across my website, played a demo reel, and I, I have got clips of it on there, and they'd go, oh. And make the connection, but you know it does. You know, hasn't really. Uh, I wondered I if do... it opened up a new market for you. <laughs> you know, if suddenly people were like, "Oh, Lots, that's the no. voice I want to sell our personal projects, products." Uh, and no, I mean, other... I, I do. I do audiobooks, and I and I have and do still read erotica under another name, but that's not off, off the back of this. You know, there haven't been any sort of direct. Oh God, there was one actually. There was one direct hire off the back of it, which was completely <laughs> inappropriate. Um, I got a message from an e-learning company who were doing a whole, a huge project for teaching children facts and words. And it, it would be, it basically it was like fact cards, five facts about an animal, five facts about the tree, five facts about the country. And it was a, an epic project. And um, they came to me and, and, and said, oh, we really liked your video on the on the porn sex, real sex thing. We want you to, to voice this e-learning thing. I'm like, are you sure that really? <laughs> um, but yeah 
so I, I went from doing that video to educating children. And, I mean, the children and, didn't know, but... Right. We, we know. They don't. And also, <laughs> I'm just wondering, who is the person in that group who is like, I have an idea. Yeah. Um, I've heard something. And I think I found I the voice. To this. Yeah. It's not where you expect it, but it's the voice. Don't pay attention to the words. So here's where this sets me up for what I was saying is going to come next. Because is you know, I, I love talking with someone who's creative. I love someone who's creating something, who is either taking something original or taking someone else's work and then bringing it to life. Because there's like this spark of creativity that's contagious. You know, it's like sitting around a fire watching those sparks go off. Hmm. They could hit anything and anything else could catch. So one of the things that caught in my head was, are there dangerous words? Because I know that for me, and, and I love that when I was, see, I, I enjoyed looking through your blog and, and reading some stuff that you described. And one that really stuck with me was the idea that you said, I, I was a voracious reader. And that doesn't mean that I knew how to pronounce things oh, yeah. correctly, which for me, and I'm going to be, I, I was talking on an interview with these great comic book creators recently, really sweet young kids. They're like, I say this kid's like I'm an old man, but they're in their twenties. So for me, the difference feels like kids. And they were, uh, they were talking with me about this. And as we were uh, sort of working through it, um, I was touching on this idea of what it means to sort of, read a word and then say it out loud. So for me, all growing up, and even as I got into my 20s, and now I do it uh, because I simply am too stubborn to want to change. I only know Greenwich as Greenwich, because when I read it mm. in a book, it's Greenwich. And there's a part of me that still feels like it should be Greenwich. Yeah, you have meantime. to eventually check yourself. It you? should yeah. be Greenwich Village in New York. And there's a part of me that does it because even, you know, then I got into how in New York, they have a street called uh, Houston. In Texas, it's pronounced Houston, which is a city in Texas. In New York, the street is pronounced Houston. And there's a part of the me that's going, I read it this way. That's the only way it should be. But just because we read it one way doesn't mean that's how you say it. And then, too, it just got my brain going, like, what words are there that look so innocent on the page, but you say them out loud and suddenly you've, you've wandered into dangerous territory. And for a, a voice actor I, and for a voiceover artist, I would have to imagine... Maybe that's something you've discovered or if you could. Yeah, well, ac actually, this goes back further than just being a voice artist. This goes back to the traffic and travel days. Lovely. Because the UK being an, the country that it is, as ancient as it is, with its ridiculous place names, that as a traffic and travel reporter who is pretending to be local to the area, you need to know how to pronounce the local place names. And there was one in particular which caused no end of, of trouble because I was doing reports for uh, BBC Cambridgeshire and BBC Northampton and they're counties that are side by side and they both have uh, a place called Nen Valley or Neen Valley. <laughs> both, uh, both is right, either is right, both are wrong depending on where you say them. Okay. So and it's spelt N-E-N-E. So it can be Nen or Nen. And it's one of those, whoever you're talking to and you say Nen will correct it to Nen or vice versa. And it's, that was an absolute headache. And there's uh, pretty much every area I covered had a horror story of a place name. That <laughs> me being from the Northeast and knowing the Northeastern geography and the place names, 
then moved to London and had to cover areas in, in the southeast. So like Norfolk, Suffolk, Cambridge, Kent, um, uh, on the south coast as well. So maybe not as far as Dorset, but sort of Sussex, Surrey, all of those areas, Hampshire, just places that were completely alien to me because I'd never been to them. And if I had to cover a shift in an emergency and I was given the place names, oh, I got into so much trouble. <laughs> um, though I th there's a place in Hampshire called Havant. And I was calling it Havant. Like, I didn't know. I didn't get a chance to check. Nobody told me. <laughs> so, yeah, that, this is why I, I have a little bit of a kind of fear of, 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 of exactly that, of read, seeing something and being terrified of pronouncing it wrongly because, you know, having broadcast it potentially to thousands of people whilst pretending they come from the local area and getting it completely wrong was a yeah i i so i i host this podcast but i actually host two others and and one of them recently was for is for a uh a website that's set up in colorado and so i've been trying to incorporate the same idea where they, they want a certain amount of the content to, to focus on Colorado. So I'll cover soccer, football stories in yeah. that area. And it, it's, it's kind of a little fun when I'm trying to say things and pronounce them in certain ways, because I'm aware that my, my parents at one point moved to a state called Missouri. But if you're from Missouri, it's actually Missouri. And people who live there know that. And it ends with an I, but they say it with an uh. And <laughs> like you said, uh, both ways are right. Both ways are wrong. It depends on where you are, who you're saying to, and how they expect you to say it. So I just, I, I love the idea of dangerous roots because then I also wondered, well, well, that's cities and locations. But also you're talking about Comedy Central, a place where double entendre can be magnified to a degree which, you know, you're listening to things and you're going, I know it looks right on paper, but what we're hearing, yeah. just can you hear the way something sounds right now? Did, did that ever, you know, because I, I love the fact that for the last, you know, 20 years that you've been doing this and longer, you've been honing your ears. You're, you're listening to the way things sound because making it better, cleaning it up, creating the sound that you're looking for is also about, you know, recognizing, nope, that's not what we want. Nope, that's not what we want. And then when you hear it said and you're just going, is anyone else hearing what I'm hearing right now? Because it's making my brain itchy. <laughs> well, so, yeah, it, it's it's a bit like language is a music. There's a rhythm and there's a, you know, it has beats and you can hear it in your head. You know, it, it's you, you get a certain earworm effect. You know how you want something to sound and how, yeah, effectively how the song goes. And I don't necessarily mean a musical song. It's it's a verbal spoken song. So are there words I should resolve avoid? in the right place? <laughs> hmm? Are there words I should avoid? Are there words that you're like, Seth, you should know that when you're talking or people are listening to your voice only, the following words are words you should be aware of. They just, they can be dangerous. You know, they can get you in trouble. Um, because for me, the, the thing that, that I'll find myself tripping over a word that should be easy pr to pronounce, like I just did, and because of how the word is structured, it's much more easy to say the embarrassing form of the word than it is to say the correct form of the word. So, um, well, the more you think about not saying a word, the more likely you <laughs> to say it yeah, and get it wrong. I mean, that, that there's the, the great example. Again, radio is a goldmine for this kind of stuff. Um, for God's sake, don't talk about, hang on, I even had to think about it just now, the county of Kent. <laughs> because if you get that wrong, that's a complaint okay. to the uh, broadcasting standards. 
And it has happened many times because it's one, it is genuinely one of those things where if you're going to say it, you know, don't say it, don't say it. Oh, I said it. <laughs> Do you have clippings of these that you've compiled together so you can just sort of have a laugh? Well, every I, um, I, I have, I have some, my, my husband works in radio as well and he, and he actually okay. has a, a whole collection of, of, of audio <laughs> bloopers, including that one. Um, but it, that, that is one that comes up quite a lot. Um, uh, there's one of my own because when I used to do, when I did do the, the, the continuity announcing on Paramount Comedy 2, uh, we'd pre-record everything. So it would be pre-recorded and then dropped on good old mini disc. Remember those? And then <laughs> sent, sent to the transmission suite. And I don't know how it happened, but somehow managed to edit and save the wrong take of, 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 a, of a continuity announcement. And uh, I knew nothing about it until the following day when the, vo- the, the, the voiceover announcer for the main channel messaged me and just went, thanks for giving my voiceover website a, a, a promo on the end of MASH last night. I was like, what? 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 And, and at the time, he, he had his website was called Voiceover Bollocks or something like that. And then basically, <laughs> I, I, I started reading the script and just tailed off and kind of went, oh, bollocks at the end. <laughs> And that complained out. Nobody complained. No. I don't think anybody noticed. <laughs> but you were uh, famous for that short period of time afterwards <laughs> on that website. I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> oh, I mean, it sounded an awful lot like you, but nothing can be proven. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't me, Gov. Yeah. Right. So uh, thank you for that, because that was, that was one of those things. I remember I was... Um, I've had, you know, writing's always been fun. And one of the jobs I did a couple of times was working as a a sports reporter. And I remember there was a girl, I can't remember her first name, but she played uh, like a youth sport and then later went on to the high school. And at two different times in my life, I was reporting her name for different scores. And the name was Anchata Shaharhar. And people, exactly. And I had written it enough times when she'd done youth sports and I would help out, you know, typing up the scores because you're putting it all together. And so later someone was covering the story. They're like, yeah, we're trying to get the name correct on the spelling for Anchara. I was like, oh yeah, I know that name. A-N-D-C-H-A-R-A-R-H-A-R. And you just yeah. roll right just through it. it and, yeah. <laughs> right, because you're I'm trying to think if there's any I've really struggled with. I don't know. I think because I, I have a bit, I've always been sort of quite diligent about pronunciations and spellings and, that that's well, why I, that little blog post I wrote where you know I was mortified if I got it wrong. I mean I, I don't did I um, I can't remember the, the post as I was talking about the word magnanimous. Oh, I think I that wrong. was it. <laughs> yeah, I was having a conversation with a friend. And I just went, oh yeah, he's really magnanimous about it. And she went, <laughs> what? Magnanimous, magnanimous, Helen. I'm like, Is that how you say it? Oh, and it was just a case of like my eyes had skimmed over it incorporated what I thought it was and then just went when I spoke and that's what came out because <laughs> I'd never I'd, at least I'd, I'd obviously heard it before in some context but had not applied what I heard to the word on the page well and that's the kicker for me is the idea of you know even you know, people wonder what makes the difference between someone who plays around with something and someone who's an expert or a professional and how many times you practice it, how many times you do it right, and how many times you learn from when you do it wrong. Because even as a professional, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to think you've got it right. And like you said, the moment you think about, don't say it wrong, don't say it wrong, 
and then you say it wrong. And <laughs> you did everything you thought was possible to prevent it from happening, but the mistake's still going to happen. And you can be as wary of certain words or prepared, and then still, at the end of it, you know. <laughs> Do you have favorite words? Ooh, that's the fun part. Because uh, uh, a friend and I used to play a game, and, uh, and, and if you get it, you get it. And it, it, it's, we would just bat words back and forth, and, it's, um, oh. and, and th we would know when the other was winning because of the quality of the word. And it's usually a word that um, is nice to say, but some words are horrible to say. Do, 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 do I love, uh, so yeah. eloquent and loquacious have always been words that I love to roll off the tongue. Yes. I don't know why. Which, but... which are words about speaking. Yes. So that is a and, yeah. <laughs> and they sound so lovely. Like as soon as loquacious you say them out. Loquacious is a good word. Yeah. Loquacious is a good word. Um, for some reason, it, I, I don't get to use it as much as I would like to, but extemporaneous is a word that just... <laughs> It makes it, yes, it makes doesn't my little head much when you're down at the supermarket, does it? It really doesn't. And when you're working into a conversation, people kind of look at you like, "You want a pat on the back for trying so hard mm -hmm. to get that?" Because <laughs> you really fought to get that word in there, and good job, little yes, buddy. Proud of you. Yeah. yeah. So my my preferences are a little more simple. I like um, sponge. Ooh, it's a good one. Now, are we getting into an? Onomatopoetica at this point. Yeah, the on, on, onomatopoeia is also a good word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, well, um, one of my favourites was always uh, I could always I could usually win the word game with kumquat. See, now this was fruit, one of the dangerous words. words. This was yes. one of the dangerous words that was in my mind last night when this little bug popped up, and I was like. I wonder what kumquat dangerous is a great word. How can I work kumquat into the conversation? I can't because Helen just beat me to it, which I'm okay <laughs> with. I can find, I can be okay with it. I think, I mean, for the most part, I had questions that I thought would fit. And so many of them already kind of naturally got answered by the way you hmm. walked us through so much of your journey, uh, specifically from the Vancouver <laughs> and the traffic. Yeah, I, I hope that was okay. I was a bit worried I was boring myself at one point. So I oh, no, <laughs> I, I soaked it up. And anybody who listens to me and these conversations knows that this is what I'm looking for, because so often it, nobody knows how people get somewhere. And mm -hmm. I, I remember I had a roommate who, um, oh, goodness, I can't think of the Catherine Zeta Jones. And I mm -hmm. never forget she, you know, my roommate had walked into the room and she saw her on TV. She goes, man, Catherine Zeta Jones, you know, she just walked into some place and they were like, oh, you're a star. We're going to make you millions in this and that. And then someone else who'd actually studied acting and actors said, well, no, actually, she got her start on a soap and then worked her way up in some other show. And then she got discovered yeah, internationally. Yeah, she and now a, um, she's a drama series called Darling Buds of May, I think was her first big break in the UK. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I have no knowledge of that. I'm not um, terribly aware when it comes, and I certainly was much less so then. I just didn't know as much about people's career paths or as much about their history or actors as well. And this discovery just sort of made me smile because so many people might think, huh, you know, I bet if I just pull out a microphone and started recording funny things and have a voice that other people say might sound good, I, I could probably lock down some work, but as nice as that sounds, there's also the reality of the journey that you took. And first it was about discovering what you do and don't want to do, paying the bills along the way. And then at some point using what you've learned to, to branch out and discover. And I think that sort of grasping that understanding and recognizing how much time went into 
then to now is important for any artist because we all apply that to the craft that we care about. How much of it we can take professionally? It's, pull, it's pulling the experience from different places because I've, I've ended up doing what I'm doing. Many of the different things that I do actually come from entirely isolated experiences. So the radio work set me up for working in a studio and mic technique. Um, when I was doing, I started, but yeah, when I, when I was working at Paramount at Comedy Central, I was learning a bit about video editing. So off the back of that, um, a friend asked me to make a, she was getting married and she wanted a montage of chick flick movies put together to play at her wedding. And I just went, you realize this will take hours and hours and there was just not enough room in the avid memory to, to store 30 odd movies. <laughs> Tell you what I'll do. What's your favorite song? And she, she picked Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero. I went, right, I'll get these films and I will cut you a montage, which I did. I had a lovely time because I got myself Final Cut Pro Love film when they used to send you CDs in the post to DVDs in the post to watch. <laughs> so I would get the get the video off that and just made a 30, 40 clip based video of to holding out for a hero. And it was an, it was it taught me to edit, it taught me timing, it taught me beat matching, you know, make, make all of that kind of stuff. She loved it. I've, I did, and I did a couple more again for friends just for fun. But off the back of that, a friend of a friend who worked in promos and trails said, oh, you can clearly cut to music. Do you want to do a bit of freelance work mixing some trails, BBC trails? And again, this is the making audio for TV or making <laughs> turning TV into audio. So the BBC had this, this, this unit and still do, although at the time they were called cross trails, where the BBC's flagship programming would be promoted on its radio network. So they made, you'd get clips of the TV program mix it with a voiceover and some music and it would go out on the national stations so he basically sent me a kit of parts to play with and put it all together so I did that a few times but all of that tied in because <laughs> I, would, I was working with the music that I'd already done I knew about voiceover and recording and, and directing voices because I would go to sessions and direct the voices for these trails and then there was the the getting the clips and cleaning them up and putting them in the right place on the time you know it, and all of this starts feeding in to the various things I do now and, and picked up over the years that that whole Jill of all trades thing, which on the face of it, you'd go, yeah, you Jill of all trades, Jack of all trades, master of none. Actually, they all complement each other, depending on where they're coming from and what you've been doing. And it just all turns into one big package of useful production skills. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing I love about it all is you, what you've been able to create with it and you know, how you can recognize the pieces. And I think probably the one thing we should all point out because, um, well, they're always right in the end, but there's mom looking at that voiceover thing going, that could be you. Yeah, you could do that. And my, now my she's sitting here. My used to interview me as well. <laughs> my granddad had a reel to reel when I was three. I've still got the audio of him, of this precocious little madam talking about what she did today. You know, it was... At, at some point, that needs to be available for public consumption. I don't know how you I, I choose to do it. it but yeah, yeah. yeah, just put up some old photos or, you know, but I can only <laughs> yeah, imagine now. <laughs> well, I can only imagine that mom sitting back listening right now going, yep. Yeah, told you. Yeah. <clears throat> predicted it all. You could have just asked me. In fact, if you want I any really, more future well, I telling. I really wish I could find, because I, 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 I know what newspaper it was, but I've never quite managed to go far back in the archives to find 
potentially find <laughs> the article she was referring to. And I know it exists. It all started. Double page. Yeah. <laughs> One day I'll see if I can find it. <sighs> now I need to ask you for a reference point here because the understanding was there could be, I don't know what breaking loose in another room. If in the next two minutes, there wasn't a bottle open and celebration <laughs> occurring because there's good reasons to, and my wife is patient too. She'll wait until I'm done doing this. But when I'm done, she's like, are you ready already? I've been waiting. I've been hanging out. What are we Have, watching? Uh, what are we drinking? Yeah. Yes. It's time to celebrate. And also keeping in mind the fact that while it's 1230 for me over here on the West Coast in California, it's actually 830 for you. You wouldn't mind enjoying the rest of your evening without <laughs> answering well, so what, more questions what do i need to do i need yeah is there is there one more is there any more questions do i have to promote a thing what happens next you, you don't have to promote it actually the one thing i would love people to know is one i didn't ask anybody on unsinkable when is unsinkable going to be uh, available for public consumption when it's finished no. perfect that's the answer I love. Um, I, then, I think this this year this year was an anniversary, and uh, the, well, last, what was it last year was the actual. I think the last year was the anniversary. I think last year was happened, the anniversary. But this year is the anniversary of the court case, so gotcha. I, I think the aim is certainly the to get it out for before that. the end of the year. Yeah. But also, I, I want to let anyone know who is listening know where they can continue to hear you, see your work, know of the projects that you have upcoming because. My other favorite thing is when I'm on here talking with someone, they're usually finishing a project, starting a project, in the midst of a project, have something they can tell people about. And I can hopefully be an additional platform that says, here, listen, something's happening and Helen's about to tell you. So essentially, whatever you know of that's coming up that you would love to share so that people can follow up and check out your work and see what you've been working on or hear the projects you've been involved in. Because I, I know that, as you named, uh, A Game for Gentlemen is now something you're finishing up. So there's a chance yes. it could be released this That's year. There could the be other projects, yeah. right? Uh, so I'd like to give you a chance to say whatever and all those are. Uh, well, the, the most imminent one is, is Greenborn, which is the uh, soap opera, the audio drama soap opera, which is being broadcast on... Oh, over 50 British community radio stations. But after that, it will be available online. So that's a 12-part series. We've got um, a comic book adaptation called Venice Planet, which is still in production as well. That's going to be a little bit later, I think. Uh, and that's a sort of comedy space opera <laughs> thing. That if, if, you, if you like, you know, if you like Red Dwarf, if you like Douglas Adams, slightly daft, tongue-in-cheek, that you, I think you'll enjoy that. I've listened to some edits for that and it's coming along nicely. Uh, we've also got a couple of BBC projects, which I probably shouldn't mention at this point. There's also a project for Audible in the works, which is a drama um, that is in the early stages of, of getting the scripts finished and looking at dates for recording for that. Um, what else have we got going on? I've got a couple more audiobooks out that I've produced. There's one called Ray's Game, which um, anyone who's ever been to London and travelled on the Piccadilly line or the overground trains around London, she is the voice of those trains. Ooh. And she's written the book and she's just recorded the audiobook, which we've published. And that, that is out now from B7 Media's shop. So go to the B7 Media website to find that. That will also crop up on other platforms in a couple of months. Nice. And um, what 
else have I got going on? Yes, the the, the big steel that I mentioned earlier. That's uh, right. Potentially might have a few more episodes. Okay. Coming with that at some point, so I'll be doing a little bit of mastering work on that. Um, and the best places for people to find you if they want to follow up, like, hey, Helen, I love this. I want to know more. Hey, I it's it's not 1997, but I, I think I want to start exploring <laughs> television, broadcast, voice, something like that. And, you know, I, I remember for a little while I worked with a great program that was a it was called. Uh, well, one was called QuestBridge. The other um, was called Upward Bound. And they kind of helped students who weren't prepared for college understand what they needed to get into college. And one of the recommendations we'd always have is find somebody who's doing something you want to do and then figure out if they've written a book. And if they've got a book, you can read about how they did it because you're not going to have the same path, but you can get ideas on how you can, you know, work towards a similar goal. And I'm sure anyone who hears you, who has listened to everything we've been talking about, has ideas about some form of production or sound, would love to get, you know, professional advice or uh, sort of follow along with somebody who's doing what they want to do and just sort of make that part of, of their experience is uh Twitter, other forms of social media, the best ways to find you. Should they go to their web, yeah, your website? Uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm on Twitter, HQ voice. Um, yeah, that's it. That's on HQ voice. Uh, my website <laughs> okay. is the same HQ right? My email address is on there as well. Um, I'm a bit rubbish at LinkedIn. That, that's okay. <laughs> I look, I, I look tell. at LinkedIn. I mean, you I'm just kind of ride yourself out, but <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, LinkedIn is just when I say busy, I mean in a kind of presentation sense. It just, just there's too much going on on it on the pages. It's just make it cleaner, please. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm mainly on HQ Voice or, or email, um, and then I've, I'd also follow B Seven Media as well. B letter B number seven media. So both both Andrew and I monitor that and, and respond on there. Uh, and I guess I've, I've Greenborn has a Twitter account now, so go and have a look at that if you're interested in audio drama. Wonderful. Soap perspective. Uh, but yeah, I think th- those are the main ones. Perfect. I mean, I could say all these things, but they're not going to listen to my voice the same way they've been listening to yours. <laughs> so if they hear you say it, it's going to like register for them. You know, me, they sort of tune out like, yeah, set up the question, buddy, explain whatever your reasons are for And then let the person we came on to hear actually like say stuff. So you saying that is probably going to register deeper with them than me. Yeah. Um, Helen, I loved every minute of this conversation. I feel like I was lucky <laughs> enough to steal about an hour and 34 minutes of your time. And I'm grateful for all of it. Please thank your husband for me. Um, I, and- I was terrible at self-editing as well. I'm so sorry. Oh no, you were amazing. I I had a blast. And I think anyone listening is going to enjoy this as much as I did. Um, Please don't hesitate to let me know anything you've got going on in the future so that I can help promote it. And I'm going to do us both a favor because we've been on, you know, being very polite and aware of ourselves for the last hour and a half. I'm going to stop recording now so that we can finish saying goodbye. (laughs) Oh no, the banana was eaten before you even got on. It was barely choked down. But yes, if you're wondering why I had thoughts, please go check out the video that she said so well for you and that you'll yeah. recognize. Porn sex versus there. real sex. The difference is explained <laughs> with food. What about light bondage? Oh, see, Helen, you should really be in charge of voicing. If I could afford, if, yeah, one day, one day, I'm going to have you saying anything I'm doing because it's just going to sound better than me. And with that, <laughs> narrating your life. <laughs> It could work out. It could really work out. Remember they did that movie? Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you, Helen. It's been a blast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And that brings us to the end of episode number 90 of Storytelling with Seth. I really enjoyed every minute of this conversation. Not only the laughter, but the insights. And Helen offered a wonderful question for me to leave, not only to continue asking, but to share with you, which is, do you believe you've heard her voice before on any of the projects she mentioned? And since she told us about all the things she has on the horizon, do you think you can recognize it again? Sounds like a fun game for all of us to play. And more importantly, I hope that it's one of the many reasons why we can look forward to having Helen back on to share more about what she's doing and what she has in store for all of us to enjoy. Please, if you haven't, remember to rate, review, subscribe so you get the chance to hear every new great story and maybe part two of conversations with guests we've had on before. I'm on all your favorite podcast platforms and I look forward to the next time I get a chance to share a story with you.